I love top 10 lists, as you know. And this morning I have one. It's the top 10 statements you will never hear a dad say. The top 10 statements you would never hear a dad say. Number 10, well, how about that? I'm lost. Honey, it looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. Nope. Never hear a father say that. Number nine, you know, princess, now that you're 13, you're ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? Nope. Number eight, take the remote. It's all yours. Not on, not on your life. Number seven, son, here's my credit card and the keys to my new car. You and your friends go crazy. Nope. Number six, son, please forget about mowing the lawn. It's Saturday. It's your only day to sleep in. Never hear dad say that. Number five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. Number four, well now, sweetheart, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Have your mother take a look. (laughs) Number three, no son of mine will live under my roof without an earring. Quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. Number two, why do you want to go out and get a job? I make plenty of money for you to spend. No dad in his right mind would say such a thing. And the number one statement you'll never hear a dad say, don't ask for my opinion, I really don't have one. That is a rarity. All fathers specialize in sharing their wisdom. But what happens when a dad's voice goes silent? When he's no longer around to provide his counsel? I once saw a tombstone of a man named Chase Shiplett. Under his name it read Father, and then under that was the inscription, A voice we loved is stilled. One day, every father's voice will be stilled. We'll all go the way of Joseph's dad. In Genesis 49, verse 33, we're told Jacob, or as God called him Israel, drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last. Fathers, if life takes its common course, one day your kids will be there to see you take your final breath. Our children will make our funeral arrangements. And this is what happened to Joseph while in Egypt. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph has to organize his dad's funeral. You know, as a pastor, I'm often asked to organize funerals. A pastor marries and buries folks. Recently, someone asked me, Would you rather do a funeral or a wedding? The answer was easy. A funeral. At a wedding, a pastor is just a prop. He's just a cardboard cutout. People forget what he said five minutes after the wedding. But at a funeral, people listen, man. There's death in the room. The stakes are high. People are facing the afterlife, heaven or perhaps hell. Today, I want us to look at Jacob's funeral and discuss the subject, what happens when a daddy dies. And as we'll discover, it's important that a father knows. First, let me state the obvious. When a dad dies, it's a big deal to his family. 
Jacob's death was certainly a major event in the lives of his sons and daughters. Notice the emotional reaction of his son Joseph. Verse 1 tells us, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph's grief was demonstrative. It was intense and uninhibited. Yet in addition to Joseph's display of deep sorrow and pain, he arranged for his dad to have a state funeral. It was accompanied by a police escort. An entourage of Egyptian dignitaries and Jacob's relatives journeyed northward to bury Jacob in the tomb of his ancestors. Years later, when Joseph himself is about to die, Jacob's example is so fresh on his mind that he too asked to be buried in the same land as his father. It's obvious Jacob's death had an enormous impact on his son Joseph. Which accentuates my point. When a dad dies, and I mean that's any dad, it's a big deal for his kids. Whether you had a caring dad, or a callous dad, or a caustic dad, whether your relationship with your dad was estranged or ecstatic, when a dad dies, it has a profound and far-reaching effect on his children's lives. You know, in our downtimes, we fathers often wonder, If I died tomorrow, would my kids even miss me? Sometimes we think that. Yeah, they'll miss the handouts, and they'll miss the no-interest loans, and the free mechanic to help patch up their car, and the safety net to bail them out of the jams, but will they really miss me? Well, you better believe, Dad, that they'll miss you far more than you realize. When a dad passes, it's no trivial matter. It changes the lives of his children forever. My granddad died when my dad was 38 years old. And dad claims it was the single most formative event in his life. It was what finally forced him to grow up, he says. Even though he had had a family of his own for a dozen years by that point, he says that he never felt like he was on his own until the day his father died. It changed him dramatically. We don't usually think of funerals as life-changing experiences, but when it's your father's funeral, well, that can be a whole different story. I believe there are a few lessons that we all can glean from Jacob's funeral and from Joseph's reaction, lessons that will prove helpful for every family member and parent. Dad, don't underestimate the impact that you have on your kids. So often the value of a father's influence isn't fully appreciated until after the funeral. A friend of mine once told me what he's going to have his wife engrave on his tombstone. They love me now. I want you to notice four actions that Joseph took when his daddy died. First, he embalmed him. Second, he mourned him. Third, he carried him to the land of Canaan. And then fourth, he buried him and returned to Egypt. And dad, when you die, your kids are going to do the same things to you. Embalm you and mourn you and carry you and ultimately bury you. And if you recognize it now, it will help you make wise decisions as you live out your life. Well, first, I want you to notice in verse 2. That when Jacob, that is Israel, died, Joseph had Egyptian physicians embalm him. 
Several years ago, the museum over at Emory University purchased a collection of Egyptian mummies. It's believed that one of those mummies was a pharaoh. And I will always imagine the pharaoh as looking like Yul Brynner. I just can't help it. I believe all pharaohs had to have looked like Yul Brynner. According to ancient history, the Egyptians were the inventors of an embalming process known as mummification. We're not sure why, but Egyptian religion necessitated the preservation of the remains of the dead. Mummification was an elaborate process. First, the brains were removed by a crooked wire that you inserted through the nose and you kind of hooked it and fished out the brains from the person's nose. You enjoying this so far? Second, an incision in the flank allowed them to go up into the body cavity and remove all the vital organs. Third, the head and abdominal cavities were stuffed with myrrh and cinnamon and aromatic spices. Fourth, the body was soaked for over a month in a solution of salt water. And then fifth, strips of cloth plastered on the inside with lime were wrapped around the body, forming a hard encasement. And I've been waiting all week to say this next line. In ancient Egypt, every daddy eventually became a mummy. (laughs) Thought you might need a little help this morning. In fact, I brought with me a few mummy jokes. You ready for this? This is just, just, I just couldn't resist. Here's a few mummy jokes for this morning. What's the most important day in Egypt? Mummy's Day. Mummy's Day. What do mummies have? I'm sorry, why do mummies have trouble making friends? They're too wrapped up in themselves. What kind of music do mummies like? Rap music, you're right. Or ragtime, either one. What kind of briefs does a mummy wear? Fruit of the tomb. Why don't mummies take vacations? They're afraid to relax and unwind. (laughs) That's funny. If a mummy gives you two dimes for a quarter, what's happened? He Egypt you. He Egypt you. You get it? Get it? And then where do mummies swim? The Dead Sea. Hey, hey, I didn't charge you for any of that. All that was for free. Hey, like the ancient Egyptians, modern Americans also believe in the preservation of the dead. And I'm not talking about embalming. Today, every daddy eventually becomes not a mummy, but a memory. We remember our loved ones, don't we? Especially our father. We take scores of pictures, miles of video, just to ensure that our memories don't escape us. Egyptians preserve their mummies. We preserve our memories. I recall my grandma. We called her Ma. When we buried her, it was a bittersweet occasion. On the one hand, we missed her. But on the other hand, death took her to Jesus, and her memories were renewed. They were restored. For the last three years of Ma's life, she suffered from Alzheimer's. And I learned firsthand what a terrible disease that is. 
Alzheimer's is so awful because it robs you of what we treasure most, our memories. Our memories are the only thing we take with us through life. It's what we end up valuing the most. Dad, you may leave your heirs a thriving business or a huge life insurance policy or a portfolio of stocks and bonds, but the most important legacy a father can pass on to his wife and children and loved ones are happy and holy and healthy memories. Reminds me of the dad whose family was eagerly anticipating their vacation. At the last minute, an unavoidable business engagement created a conflict. Not wanting to deprive his family of their well-deserved holiday, he sent them on without him. He promised to catch up with them as soon as he could. Dad planned every detail of the trip. He arranged where they would stay. He mapped out the highways they would take. He knew where his family would be at all times. But there was one detail that Dad planned that he kept a secret. After his family's trip had begun, he took off from work and he flew to the city through which his wife and kids would be traveling that day. A friend of his picked him up from the airport and dropped him off alongside the road. He arrived a few hours ahead of the family SUV. Imagine the expression on the faces of his wife and kids when they looked up and saw Dad on the shoulder of the road with his thumb in the air hitchhiking. Mom was so shocked it was all she could do to keep from running off the road. Needless to say, the dad's surprise set the tone for a fun-filled vacation. Later, a friend asked this creative dad why he had gone to so much trouble to surprise his family. He replied, Someday I'll be dead. And when that happens, I want my family to say, You know, dad was a lot of fun. Memories. A wise dad spends much thought and effort to leave his family a bushel full of memories. The last few years my kids were living at home, I tried to take all four on an overseas trip. I took my daughter to Germany, a son to London, another son to Israel. My youngest son I took to Fenway Park in Boston. For him, that was better than going to Europe. But we all made memories together. And you don't have to go overseas to make memories. You can make memories at Brewster's. Brewster's is an ice cream parlor not far from our house. And for over 20 years, I've played a game with my kids. Guess how much money is in dad's wallet and it belongs to you? If you can guess the amount of money in dad's wallet, he'll give it to you. For 20 years, we played that game. I played that game with my kids, and I won every single time except those four kids never got close until one night at Brewster's. I, have no, I had no idea that night how much was in my wallet. But when the run of the litter, Mac, said 84 bucks, I had this terrible sinking feeling in my stomach. And I can remember counting it out, 81, 82, 83, 83, 84. It was the first time in 20 years an Adam's child had hit the jackpot. He walked off with 84 bucks. It was a historic moment. Immediately, Max started texting all his friends to tell them what had happened. 
It cost me far too much, but I made a memory that in Adam's family lore will never be forgotten. Even to this day, years later, it gets brought up in conversation and we all have a good laugh. There are cheaper ways for a father to make memories with his kids. I just encourage you, Dad, to find them. Make a memory with your kids and with your grandkids. When Joseph's daddy died, he was embalmed with sweet spices. And when this daddy dies, I want my kids to preserve me with sweet recollections. Well, the second action that Joseph took when his daddy died was to mourn him. As we read in verse 2, there was an initial outburst of sorrow. Joseph fell on his father's face and covered him with tears and kisses. Yet after this immediate outpouring of grief, the lamentation settled into a much longer, more sustained period of mourning. It lasted 70 days. That's 10 complete weeks. Think of it, after two and a half months, Joseph was still mourning his dad. You know, some children mourn the loss of their father, not just for days or weeks or months, but for many years. Some folks never get over the loss of their dad. A father is a guiding light. He's the north star in a child's horizon. If he's a shooting star, or if he's a dying star, and he doesn't shine brightly, It's hard for the child to forgive him. Thus, when that dad dies, unresolved feelings surface. Regrets arise. Remorse sets in. Even if he's a good dad, if he's a bright star in his child's firmament, he's still not sure conflicts won't arise. Being a dad is a tough and risky job, and it sets fathers up for inevitable conflicts with their kids. It's my job to love my kids enough to put my foot down. At times, I insist on what's best, even when it's not popular. According to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, we're told Eli, the priest, was judged by God, and I quote, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. It's a dad's job to restrain his kids, when they're doing wrong. This means if you're afraid of confrontation and conflict, don't sign up for being a dad. At times, the very nature of the job puts a father at odds with his children. Reminds me of one night, my sons and I, we were walking across the ball field to the car. We had picked up one of them from practice. And out of the blue, my oldest son, 15 at the time and full of testosterone, he says to me, Dad, why don't you take off your glasses and let's wrestle? I think I can take you. Oh, you think you can take me? I took my glasses off. I handed them to his two stunned brothers. The older sibling had challenged the status quo. Those little kids were sitting there with eyes big as saucers. Life as they knew it had now been threatened. It took me five seconds to have that kid in a full Nelson rubbing his nose in the grass on that ball field. I had put down the challenge and restored order. The world was right again. Hey, a family is in big trouble if the patients are allowed to take over the asylum. Dad, your kids are going to wrestle with you. Maybe not literally, but they'll find ways to wrestle with you. And if there's anything I've learned about being a father, it's this. 
A dad has to win the battles. You have to win the battles. Dad, your children will forgive your mistakes, but cowardice will send them elsewhere for strength. Reminds me of Corey, an unwed mom who went home to live with her parents. She needed help raising her son, but she resented her dad's household rules. Dad had warned Corey that to live under her roo- his roof, she would have to abide by his rules. One night, long after curfew, she came home to a locked house. The doorbell rang. On the front porch stood Corey and her baby, pounding on the door, asking to come inside. I want you to listen to her dad as he tells us the rest of the story. I saw Michael, my grandson, bundled up in a baby carrier next to Corey. I pointed to my watch and closed the curtain. She continued to bang and ring, waking up my wife and daughter. They both pleaded, Daddy, let her in. The baby's out there. I responded, no, if we hold the line now, we won't have to do this again. I wondered about the risk I was taking. I might wound my daughter permanently. My tiny grandson was out there. I might be blamed forever. For 20 minutes, the girls begged me to reconsider. Finally, I said, no, I'm going to bed, and you should too. Corey eventually spent the night at a friend's house. But the next morning, she came home, and she apologized to her father. She agreed to submit to his rules, and her father joyfully welcomed her home. But that's a dad's job. He's the guy who has to draw the line in the sand. He loves his kids so much that he'll discipline them appropriately. But you know, dad never knows how it's all going to turn out in the end, whether his kids will end up receptive or resentful. Fatherhood is a risky business. Some father-children relationships barely make it through the tumultuous teenage years. Others part ways only to be reunited later. Still others never rediscover common ground and make reconciliation. Sadly, I know many an 18-year-old whose pride and independence caused them to reject their father. They said harsh words and bucked their dad every step of the way. Later, the child wanted to repair the damage done to his relationship with his dad, but by then, it was too late. When a dad dies, his kids mourn. If he was a good dad, they mourn the loving relationship they'll miss. If he was a crummy dad, they'll mourn the good he could have done but didn't. But regardless, they'll mourn. When I die, I want my family to mourn for the right reasons. Dad, when it comes to your family, is there something you need to do? Is there some time you need to spend? Something you need to say? If so, do it now. And the same goes for the wives. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. There's an old song sung by Mike and the Mechanics entitled, In the Living Years. If relationships need to be repaired, if regrets should be expressed or wrongs admitted, if explanations need to be offered or apologies made or forgiveness extended or communication revived, then do it in the living years. But when a daddy dies, it's too late. Well, the third action that Joseph took when his daddy died was to carry him. 
At the end of Genesis 49, just before he dies, Jacob charges his sons to carry his body back to the land of Canaan. He wants to be buried in the cave of Machpelah, the tomb of his ancestors. In chapter 50, Joseph organizes an elaborate funeral procession. He follows Jacob's orders explicitly. Joseph's insistence on carrying his father's body back to Canaan proves to me that Jacob's impact on Joseph's life lasted far longer than Jacob lasted longer than lasted long after Jacob died. How's that? A father's influence long outlives that dad. It carries on for a lifetime in the child even longer. You know, in Jacob in chapter 49 of Genesis, Jacob blesses each of his 12 sons. You should go back and read these blessings. Jacob invests in each of his boys hopes and dreams and expectations and warnings. And surprisingly, his blessings become prophecies. In fact, a study of chapter 49 reveals how that each of these 12 blessings that he bestows turns into a thumbnail sketch of the history of Of each of these tribes. Each of Jacob's sons either live up to their potential or they fall below it based on their father's expectations. That's a warning to dads. For every time you interact with your child, dad, you help to shape his or her destiny. A father's expectations become his children's ambitions. Your offhanded comments will build up or tear down their self-worth. The words you use, your tone of voice, how you treat people, what you value, how you respond to situations produce patterns that your child will follow and fall back on for the rest of their life. For years I coached Little League and Little League Baseball, really enjoyed it. And I'm now coaching again. It's been so much fun. I'm coaching my grandson Quincy and having a ball. But I'll never forget the conversation I had with my son, Zach, about the years that we had spent together on the diamond, his years playing and my years coaching. When I reminded Zach of all the lessons that baseball had taught him, he interrupted me. You know, teenagers are good at that, interrupting you. He told me that baseball hadn't taught him anything. He said the reason he had learned so much on the baseball field was that it had given him an opportunity to watch me how I handled situations, and how I interacted with people. I pray that what he learned was good and godly. One of my fondest memories of my dad were his Sunday trips to see his invalid sister at a downtown Atlanta nursing home. I remember dad walking out of many a thrilling football game in order to go downtown and endure what what I'm sure was a boring visit. I've since grown to admire his compassion and his faithfulness, and I want to emulate that in my life. It's true of all father-child relationships. Issues that are important to the first generation somehow get transferred to the second and even to the third generations. I know this isn't a new idea, Dad, but be careful. The attitude you exhibit, your kids are prone to emulate. Joseph carried Jacob on a stretcher from Egypt, north to the cave of Machpelah. But let's not forget, a child carries his parents in his heart and in his mind forever. 
James Ryle was a drug dealer, a thief. He was arrested. At 19 years old, he was sent to prison. But in prison, Ryle heard the love of Jesus and the price that Jesus paid on the cross for his forgiveness. From inside a penitentiary, James Ryle submitted his life to Jesus, and God gave him a brand new start. After James was released, he looked his father up. When the conversation turned to prison life, his dad asked him, he said, what prison were you in? When James Ryle answered, his father was startled. Ryle's dad had been a welder who had traveled cross-country building penitentiaries. In fact, the father had built the very prison in which his son had been incarcerated. James Ryle lived in a prison built by his own father. And this is true of a lot of people today. A father's reputation, his indiscretions, his abuses can create a prison in which his child is forced to live. His influence weighs on his children heavily. It binds them emotionally. It hinders them from being all that they can be. I don't want to build a prison for my kids. I'd rather fashion a launching pad or a training ground. Certainly a caring home and a vibrant church. Anything but a prison. Well, finally, the fourth action that Joseph took when his daddy died was to bury him. What a strange sight for the Canaanites to see this caravan from Egypt traveling to an obscure cave on the outskirts of the wilderness. At the threshing floor there, they hold a funeral that lasts seven days. The mourning is so dramatic that they renamed the place Abel Mizraim, or literally, the mourning of Egypt. Imagine a funeral that lasted a whole week. And notice this was in addition to the 70 days of mourning in Egypt. Nearly three months elapsed from the time Jacob died until his burial. Make no mistake about it, Joseph loved his dead and thoroughly mourned his loss. But once he buried him, he moved on. Notice verse 14 tells us, And after he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. In other words, he got up and he went back to work. Joseph got on with his life. Yes, for the rest of his days, he and his brothers carried their father in their hearts. But in the meantime, they definitely carried on. Reminds me of the Georgia Bulldogs football game. The stadium was packed to the gills. It was a sellout. Except for one seat on the 50-yard line. There was an elderly woman sitting next to this one lone, conspicuously empty seat. Someone asked her, he said, why the empty seat? She replied, she said, well, this was my husband's seat, but he died recently. The fellow said, that's sad, but why didn't you get another family member to replace him? She replied, no one was available. They're all at his funeral today. Granted, maybe that's burying somebody and moving on a little too quickly, I'd think. But when a daddy dies, there comes a point when his children have to move on. This is why it's so important that in the living years, that a dad prepare his child for that critical moment. It's a dad's job to get his kids ready to go on without him. 
I believe the goal of fatherhood is to work yourself out of a job. You expect your kids to need you at seven years old, even at 17 years old. But if they're still dependent on old dad at 27, there's a huge problem. When my fourth child, Mac, was born, I had the privilege of cutting the umbilical cord. The doc handed me the scissors, and I snipped the prenatal connection between my child and his mother. And in a subtle yet profound sense, suddenly my son was on his own. But that was just the beginning. I've been snipping ever since. Today he's almost 30 and the cord has finally been cut. But it happened a little at a time. It's a father's job to wean and grow and teach his child to make their own decisions, solve their own problems, develop their own skills and thoughts and ambitions. Psalm 127 speaks to this task. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. At the time this psalm was written, archery was a new development in the field of weaponry. Prior to its utilization, soldiers fought hand-to-hand, face-to-face, but now with the bow and arrow, a soldier could strike a target from a distance without personal proximity to the enemy. And this is a father's desire to send his kid ahead where he can't go. To help them go where he can't travel. To accomplish more than his hands will ever touch. Once I was asked, do you hope your kids turn out like you? I responded, if my kids only turn out as good as me, I'll be hugely disappointed. I'm praying they turn out to be a far better person than their dad. I want my kids to sell farther and straighter and go faster than their dad. I'm the archer and it's up to me to set the arrow on the proper course to strike its intended target. One day my kids will bury me. And every day from now until then I'm working to provide my children fond memories. And I want them to have a godly example that they can carry with them. As well as I hope that when they mourn, they mourn for the right reasons. And yet I will have failed in my fathering if after they've shed their tears, they lack the strength and focus to get up and carry on with what God has called them to do. I want them to go ahead and be a witness for Jesus. Well, to sum it up, when a daddy dies, his kids embalm him, mourn him, carry him, and bury him. Dad, one day you're going to breathe your last. You're going to join the folks in the cemetery that are pushing up daisies. It's not if a daddy dies, it's when a daddy dies. That means that if you want to build a legacy, your children will be happy and proud to carry. Then you've got to do it now, in the living years. Start today. Father, we thank you.